I love 40s. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 604 of Locked On Raptors for Thursday, November 14th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. We can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you are checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. We've got team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. We've got the Locked On NFL Network covering football. We've got the Locked On NHL Network with 27 shows ready for you to check out. Uh, and in particular, there's a cool episode last night. Jason Hernandez of the Locked On Ducks podcast had a few of the local hosts on and did a Hockey Jeopardy episode uh, where all correct answers earned money for cancer research. Very cool stuff if you want to check that out. All in honor of Alex Trebek, who of course is a big hockey fan. So make sure you are uh, checking that out and supporting the shows on the network that you like by rating, reviewing, subscribing, all of those good, fun, buzzy podcast words that I'm not really sure any of us know what they actually mean, but... Much appreciated. Anyway, anyway, on today's show, we are talking about a Raptors 116 or sorry 114 106 win over the Portland Trailblazers. And joining me to talk about it and the ridiculous performances from Pascal Siakam and Fred VanVleet and so much more is uh, one of the preeminent Blazers fans on the internet, who I'm sure is very sad about the Blazers being bad this year. Uh, it is Joe Wolfon. Joe, how are you? I'm good. I don't exactly know where that's coming from. I'm not like a Blazers fanboy or anything. I've, I've enjoyed the team, but um, oh, see, I, I, I always, you know, I always assumed it was like Pacers, Blazers, then Raptors on your hierarchy of, of teams that are near and dear to your heart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I have a certain soft spot for for like cool small market teams with like fun and interesting histories, and um, and I, I like I'm a Lillard fan for sure, but I'm not. I don't know. Pacers are a different story. <laughs> Love me some Pacers. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, I, 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 I was like not particularly high on this year's Blazers team anyway. So um, it's like I don't I'm not really like invested in their success this season. I expected them I expected them to be this bad, but I expected them to be like not as good as they've been the past couple of years. So um, I feel vindicated in that sense anyway. Yeah, the Blazers are looking pretty rough. As it turns out, when you replace a bunch of good players with players who are worse, uh, things aren't going to work out super well. If you're looking for more Blazers-related toil, check out Wednesday's podcast with Corbin Smith. Uh, the reviews on his 12-minute soliloquy about how bad Hassan Whiteside is uh, are glowing, so make sure you check that out. Uh, but the Raptors are the topic of today's discussion. Again, 114-106 last night in Portland. Still down. OG Ananobi did not play. He'll be back on Saturday, it sounds like, so that is encouraging. Malcolm Miller got the start in place of him, had the ceremonial Louis Scola minutes as the starter for seven minutes, and then never saw the floor again. Um, you got Pascal Siakam with 36 points on 15 of 28 Closing out the game 9 of 10 after a 6 and 18 start. Fred Van Vliet, 30 points on 10 of 16. Rondé Hollis Jefferson, a double double off the bench. So many things to get into from this one. Joe, what was your biggest takeaway from the Raptors' win over the Blazers? Um, I think it's got to be just the fact that the Raptors' defense has come up with both, I think, like a really effective scheme mm. and like a really effective execution of that scheme against opposing number one options. Mm -hmm. Like look at the last three games 
and what they have done to LeBron, Kawhi, and Lillard uh, is insane. And, and like, I, I can't really emphasize enough how good Lillard had been in the whatever eleven games that he had played before this one, and they completely smothered him. Um, and it's not like anything particularly revolutionary like they're showing him extra bodies they're flooding the strong side they're trapping him in pick and roll and and really doing a good job of pushing him back toward midcourt they're just doing a really effective job of executing that scheme and uh they really dared like any other blazer to beat them uh and rodney hood had a nice game i guess as a result but i think you live with that and and obviously it was successful so um, they come away with, uh, you know, that two for 12 performance from Lillard, nine points, uh, first time in like three years, I think that he'd been held under double digits <laughs> and, um, I, I'm looking forward to them doing the exact same thing against Luka Doncic on Saturday night. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. This, this was also my biggest takeaway from the game is just how good they've been, not just against Lillard, but against opposing stars for the last little while here. And, and maybe it's been sort of out of necessity that they had to play this sort of desperation style of defense where they sell out so heavily on the main guy just because they're shorthanded and it's sort of like a high variant style of defense similar to I guess how on like offense you know a team that is sort of outmatched think of like the nets of the last couple years where you know they're sort of outmatched talent wise but they bomb enough threes that it kind of creates a high variance thing where maybe they can sneak out some wins and maybe that's sort of what the defense is but you know it's not like they haven't been doing this all year though they've been pretty and maybe they just learn from the conference finals that maybe this is just the way to play stars most successfully is to sell it to stop them and dare the supporting cast to beat you. Uh, Micah Adams from uh, NBA.com had a piece today talking about how the Raptors have done so well against opposing All-Stars. Eight times this year, they've taken on All-Stars uh, from opposing teams and they've combined to shoot 37% while averaging nine fewer points per game than they have against everyone else. Uh, that's nuts. Uh, thanks to Micah for pulling that stat. That is crazy. And it's it sort of, it, you know, it's very obvious what they're doing on, on the defensive end. And it's kind of interesting because it, it does seem like something that can probably work over the sort of grand scheme of a season as well. I know it's like sort of a high-energy, high-octane style of defense and maybe you worry about bear, you know wearing down. But think back to like the 2017-18 season when again they were like a top five or six defense but against the top 10 offenses they were just awful and it was sort of what their demise ended up being against the Cavs in the postseason as well they just couldn't stop elite offenses and this style seems to be like especially tailored to very good teams in a way that that sort of drop back style they played where they gave up a bunch of mid-range jumpers and you know sort of maximized the shot spectrum they were allowing but still was not good enough against the best players this is like the exact opposite of that. It seems to be tailored especially to very good teams led by singularly talented players. Do you think this is something that, you know, maybe they sort of scale down the aggressiveness a little bit when they get healthy, but do you think this style of play is something that can be sustainable for them over the course of the season and into the postseason? Um, it's really tough to say. Like, the fact that they're giving up the most corner threes as like a percentage of opponent shots is a little bit scary to me. Even if it is role players, mostly who are taking those shots, like I just I don't love that. Uh, obviously, it's been really effective so far, but like I said, it is high variance, right? So um, you hope that you catch a team on a cold shooting night, or you're just forcing the ball into the hands of the right guys and leaving them open to take those shots, and, and just kind of like hoping for the best. Um, 
you can have really good outcomes that way, but you know the variance can swing in the other direction as well. Uh, so it scares me a bit, and I think I wouldn't go as far as to call it like a gimmicky defense, but it just um, it's the kind of thing that I I don't know. I haven't entirely made up my mind about it, but it is really interesting to look at how their their defensive shot spectrum has changed over the last two years because mm-hmm. um, that seventeen eighteen season where I think they didn't have the kind of defensive personnel that they have now, but they cobbled together a top five defense by just, you know, completely minimizing opponent three point attempts, uh, and specifically corner threes and force them into mid range jumpers. But like you said, like, you know, against top flight offenses and elite offensive players, it didn't work. So I think at the end of the day, you probably do want the, the defense that can take away primary options rather than the one that is going to like be better against middling offensive teams. But Mm -hmm. like, um, yeah, I guess maybe that's just like, uh, like gives them a higher ceiling defensively, but, Mm -hmm. um, also possibly a lower floor. Yeah. I don't think it's terribly surprising that the Clippers were the team that was most able to sort of survive the style of defense the Raptors threw out there. And still, they held the Clippers to, I believe, less than a point per possession. So it's not like the Clippers killed them. But when you have, apparently, Patrick Patterson and, like, you know, Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell and sort of a supporting cast like that, you know, more it's a little bit more dangerous than, say, the Lakers supporting cast where it was a lot of, you know, Danny Green sleeper agent missing threes and Avery Bradley and um, and obviously last night with the Blazers, the entire problem with that team is the supporting cast around Dame. So, um, you know, I think it might be dependent on who the supporting players are, but, you know, I don't think... I guess you sort of run the risk of maybe falling into the, sort of the same trap that the you know pardon the pardon the uh, the wordplay there, but that the sort of Jason Kidd led Bucks you know fell into right where they were so aggressive and sending two to the ball all the time and just got eviscerated, gave up a million corner threes, and you know just didn't quite have the the rotational sort of discipline to make up for all the space they they were giving away. And I think these Raptors probably have better to defensive personnel than that team did. They don't have Giannis, but, like, everyone on the team is a good defender, essentially, outside of Matt Thomas. Um, and, you know, that guy covers lots of ground when he's playing defense because he just runs around like a chicken with his head cut off. But, um, you know, I think it's probably something in between, you know, th- like what they've done the last little while and that version of the Bucks is sort of where they would fall in, I, I guess, is sort of if you're averaging it out over the course of a whole season if they were to keep this up. But uh, definitely interesting. Yeah. And I'm curious to see how it all sort of, you know, snaps back once they start getting guys healthy. Yeah, and I think, you know, compared to that Bucks team, like that Bucks team also just gave up a ton of shots at the rim. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, they didn't have the rim protection that this Raptors team has. And, like, that's, the, like, this team right now is, like, by far the best <laughs> rim-protecting team in the league. Mm-hmm. They're allowing less than 50% shooting in the restricted area, which is batshit um, <laughs> and, and not sustainable. But, like, um, I think it's a good sign that, you know, in spite of the fact that they're giving up all these threes, uh, the, you know, and part of their aggressiveness is that they tend to just, like, send a lot of help to the rim, too. Yeah, um, right. So, you know, I think that that's the sacrifice, I guess, that they've decided to make and, and that they're willing to you know, allow role players to shoot open threes, and uh, you know, as a as a trade off, uh, they're they're just going to erase what a team can do in the restricted area, uh, and it's been super effective so far. And also, I think like they've been pretty good at 
zoning up the rest of the floor when they're sending two to the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, like their rotations have been great. They scramble really well. The communication is good. And so on the back end, like if that track gets busted, uh, I think they're pretty well equipped to deal with the with the man advantage. Yeah, that's a good point. They, I mean, at the very least, it's a deeply, deeply entertaining defense to watch. And, you know, I, I would expect it probably chills the hell out a little bit once they get some guys back, but I'm not opposed to watching them play like this, even if maybe uh, they will get burned some nights just because it's a damn blast, and they are really, really good at it, and their execution's been fantastic, and, you know, I have my reservations about teams that play, you know, balls to the wall for the entirety of every game. This was, like, one of my big criticisms of, like, the Celtics of a couple years ago and that they just were constantly just, like, flying around, and eventually that's going to catch up with you injury-wise and fatigue-wise and... You know, some of the guys who are being asked to, you know, be super, you know, key contributors to this defense are also guys that have to take a big offensive burden. So I wonder if maybe it'll catch up to them. But for the meantime, it's it's damn fun to watch, and they're really, really good at it. And uh, Luka Doncic better be afraid on Saturday, because uh, I'm sure he's going to get the name treatment for sure. Um Let's get into some of the individual performances from guys last night. Uh, we can start with Pascal Siakam. Holy God. Like, not really the greatest start for him, although I think there were a few sort of missed bunnies that uh, he would normally hit around the rim after totally drop-stepping Nasir Little into oblivion that, you know, maybe sort of took down his field goal percentage early on in the game. But he finishes the game 9 of 10, uh, finishes 15 of 28 overall, 36 points, 4 of 7 from 3. Uh, Zach Lowe was tweeting today some numbers about how his, like, above-the-break three-point shooting is, like, just uncharted territory in terms of shifting of shot distribution and efficiency and everything. It's it's nuts what he's doing. Um, do you have just thoughts on Pascal's game last night? And then maybe we can sort of take it into a, a sort of bigger scale thing of his place within the league. But last night in particular, it just it seemed like he took over and was like, nope, this is my game now. And... That's some superstar shit, man. It was it was just a treasure to behold. Yeah, I mean, I said that I thought he was going to go for 50, so I was pretty disappointed. <laughs> but um, it, it was it was pretty transcendent second half. And, like, honestly, what would you expect to happen when the Blazers are electing to guard him in single coverage with Mario Hozonia? Yeah. Like, it, that's exactly what should have happened, you know? And, and they looked for him every time on the floor. They established him in the post, and it was a bucket every time. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know why the Blazers thought that they could get away with that. But the reason I thought that he was going to go for 50 points is, like, that's been happening to the Blazers all season. They mm-hmm. have no front court depth. They have no good forward defenders. I mean, they got carved up by Eric Paschal and, like, <laughs> Jabari Parker. So, you know, like, looking up and down the roster I was like who on earth is going to guard Pascal like they're going to have to send double and triple teams this way and instead they just elected to play him straight up with you know Hazonia Rodney Hood Little who I think actually did the best job of the bunch but was still pretty overmatched um and and like that's exactly what Pascal should be doing like Mm -hmm. he is that level of player now where it's like he has a mismatch and he should be taking advantage of it he should be taking over the game down the stretch like that's that's where he's ascended to as a player and and i guess that's the really cool thing is is watching the game and knowing uh that that takeover is coming and being able to like look uh, at the opposing team and think well they have absolutely nobody who can guard (laughs) this dude and that's sort of you know what it felt like last year with Kawhi, and 
and Pascal is basically just like taking up that torch and he's that guy now where there's like two or three teams in the league that have the personnel to actually deal with them. Yeah, it's uh I mean, it's probably it shouldn't probably be surprising now or you know, a tenth of the way into the season and it's been something we've seen pretty much every game and I do think it's been you know, pretty noticeable, at least since the injuries really hit, that he's kind of, I think, saving himself a little bit for late in these games. And, you know, maybe he's settling a little bit for shots that are not awesome early on in games, but kind of, you know, just keeping that battery charged for when he has to take over late. And it's just, you know, it's all like ethereal killer instinct stuff that that sort of comes to mind when you look at him do that kind of thing but man it, it's he looks just like a killer out there and to see just sort of like the praise coming from everybody is you know it, we have to i think sort of get acquainted with the idea that you know this is just one of the best 15 or so players in the league probably it, it, he's he's ridiculous and it's so fun to watch and it, the fact that it's like homegrown and that he's like locked in for the next four years it's all just very very exciting um i try not to get too like sports radio-y on this podcast um and like hey we we, we can balance this next part out with uh you know the the talk of defensive rotations that we had for the first part of the show but um like with pascal I tweeted last night in just the haze of uh, a 10% Imperial Stout and also the Raptors having beaten the Blazers that there's like 11 guys in the league who are better than him. Um, Is there like a world for you in which we get to the end of the season and it's not at all crazy to say he's a top 10 player? Because he's not that far off, really. I think I put him 13th on the list of guys I did last night. And a couple of them I'm not even totally sold on. And one of them was Lillard, who we completely punked. So I I don't know. It's... I think it's a real question. Whether he gets there, I don't know. Whether he's, like, top 10 on, you know, SI 100 next year, the thing I don't give a shit about. Maybe he will be, maybe he won't be. But it seems like a conversation way faster than it ever should have been. Um... Yeah, I saw that list that you tweeted out. I would put him ahead of Butler. I think that was the only guy on that list that I would say I think he's definitely better. Mm. Um, and with Lillard, I'd say it's close, but I think Lillard still just like is a little bit more proven. Yeah. And um, offensively, I would still just like put him, you know, far far enough ahead that the Pascal I don't know makes up for it at the defensive end, but. Mm. That's something that, you know, I might be singing a different tune by the end of the season. Like, he's already, to me, dangerously close to crashing the top 10. So, I don't think that's crazy at all. And, and um, you know, if you look at, like, the start that Jokic is off to, which is, like, he, he's still an elite center, but he hasn't exactly been his MVP candidate self uh, the way that he was last year. And, I don't know, like, would you rather have Jokic than Pascal? Like, it's harder to build a functional defense around Jokic, and it's easy to build an elite offense around him, but it's kind of looking like it's pretty easy to build an elite offense around Pascal, (laughs) too, and he fits into basically any defensive scheme. So I think there's a conversation to be had there. Uh, Like, he is so dynamic and can do so many different things, and I think... Like, context is always important when you talk about these guys. And, like, there's a certain team, I think, that could use a Lillard more than they could use a Siakam. But I think if you're starting from scratch, you want to think about how easy or difficult it would be to put, like, a championship contender around that player. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, man. I think there's a case to be made (laughs) that, like, there aren't 10 guys who would be easier to do that with than Siakam right now. Just 
batshit. Which is insane. <laughs> uh, well, how, what yeah. did we do? What did we um, do to be so lucky as Raptors fans? Like, what the hell? <laughs> I mean, suffered through, like, 20 years of just absolute yeah. uh, awfulness, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was the price we paid. And now we're reaping the rewards. I, I think... That's the best I got. Yeah, it's, uh... But, um... Has, for you, like, what Siakam's done... I mean, I would assume that he's overshot your expectations. He's certainly overshot mine. Uh, we did an over-under bet on the preseason podcast with Vivek and Sahal. I set the over-under for 30-point games from Pascal at 13.5. I think both Vivek and I took the under. Uh, we're going to lose that. <laughs> it's not even going to be close. And I think that speaks to sort of... Yeah, well, he's, he's already at 6, right? At 5, but I yeah. Think? Yeah, he's at five, 5, I believe. But either way, like... We, I think we're sort of trying to temper expectations a little bit because we saw, you know, some on and off struggles against elite defense in the postseason. And the jump from 20% usage to 30 plus usage is the toughest jump to make. And, you know, it was totally reasonable, I think, to be a little bit skeptical that Siakam was going to, you know, transfer that efficiency over in a really meaningful way. He's done that and more, and his defense looks to be back to sort of a pre-last season level where I think maybe there was some slippage from him. He's been just ridiculous in some of these games and has been a big reason why they're so just daunting at the rim and whatnot. Has Siakam's first 11 games changed at all your view on sort of the ceiling of this Raptors team and maybe where they can get? I know, you know, your, your podcast pal on uh, Pound the Rock, Joseph Cacharo had the Raptors as ceiling as potentially making the finals anyway. I think you were a little bit more sort of uh, reserved in your in your belief. Does Has what Siakam's done so far changed where you think this team can go just as is? 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I think the... There are a couple things. Like, that's the biggest one. Um, there are a few factors, I guess, that have, have changed my mind about it, but like the biggest concerns that I had coming into this season were one, like, what are you doing with all of those Kawhi possessions that you just lost? You know, a guy who's using thirty percent of your possessions and converting them into points. You know, at like sixty percent true shooting. How are you making up for that? And Siakam is now doing basically the exact same thing, <laughs> same usage and almost the same efficiency. Uh, and then, you know, the other question that I had was like, how are they cobbling together 48 minutes at the two wing positions every night? And like OG emerging the way that he has. And the fact that Fred is basically giving them, you know, <laughs> close to 40 minutes a game between the one and the two and probably like 30 of those minutes at the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you really only have to have, you know, like 18 of those minutes left over for Norm and uh, Terrence Davis and anybody else to fight over, like suddenly, like the wing situation is not looking so dire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was worried about the bench, which has been just like out of this world <laughs> over the last, you know, three games. Um, it's like all these questions that I had about the team have basically been answered, and it's still early. You know, all the small sample size caveats apply, so it's not like I'm totally sold, but you know. Uh, I think a lot of the time, if you're generalizing, the biggest 
the biggest knock on a team, like even a good regular season team and what their playoff prospects are going to be and whether they can actually be elite, make the finals, et cetera, mm. is like it's really hard to do that if you don't have a top 10 player. And it sure seems like Siakam is going to be that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think to me their ceiling is, I don't know. I mean, why, why not? You know, like why can't they get back there? Yeah. I, I if if Lowry can come back and keep playing the way that he was playing before he went out, um, I, I think I think they have the goods to get it done. I've been saying all year, it's a team of motherfuckers, <laughs> and they like their their defenses. I don't think even a question at this point. Um, it's going to I think only improve, and I'm sure they'll get a little bit more flexible in the way they play, maybe sort of adopt more of what they did last year where they were able to sort of adapt on the fly and sort of change coverages and change change styles based on the possession and the opponent and whatever Marcus Gasol said. Um, you know, I think they can kind of work themselves back that way considering how high the IQ is from guys like Kyle and Fred and Pascal and obviously Gasol directing the whole thing. Gasol's been not great offensively, but his defense has been just insane and he's been a big reason why they've been so deadly uh, defending the rim so far this year. And, you know, when you get a Baca back, like, it's just... And then you add in Terrence Davis and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, who's been a revelation the last three games and I think has very much put himself into the rotation whenever they do get back somewhere close to full strength here. Like, the versatility is back. The, you know, the the lack of a sort of stone-cold proven killer like Kawhi may still be an issue, and and maybe Pascal's a little bit more prone. We've seen some low efficiency in a couple of these games, uh, albeit under insane workloads, and that'll be alleviated a little bit when Kyle's back. But, yeah, this is looking more and more like a team that should be closer to that Milwaukee... Uh, and Philadelphia sort of tier than maybe people were giving them credit for. And, and I think you made a good point last night uh, on on Twitter, everyone's favorite hell site, about how the top five in the East is pretty comparable to the top five in the West. I mean, we, we, we've seen with Boston, we'll see what happens without Gordon Hayward and if, if their sort of center rotation can hold up. Um, and we'll see with Miami. I, I mean, they, they're very good. They're, their sort of metrics are almost identical to the Raptors so far. They're kind of similar teams. Um, like those top five are, is it's a really really good top five. After that, I'm not so sure, but it's I, I think it's closer to sort of one globular mass of teams as opposed to two teams that are clearly head and shoulders above the, of the above the rest. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, 100. percent I am actually like uh, I have a an article coming out probably in like a couple hours. It's uh, basically um, explaining that, and it's I think a combination of. Uh, the Bucks and Sixers not really looking all that invincible, and and the three teams behind them, like the Raps, Celtics, and Heat, all I think being better than expected. And um, I think the Raptors and Celtics in particular have put themselves into that group. The Heat, I have some concerns about that I don't necessarily with those other two teams. Like I don't know that they're necessarily quite on the same level, but mm-hmm. the Celtics have really impressed me so far, uh, and the Raptors the same thing. And like. Man, I don't know. Just like there's something not particularly convincing about Philly and Milwaukee, and like I really did come into the season expecting them to just like run away with the conference, and it it's early again. <laughs> like we have to keep saying that, but uh, it's not even like they're not experiencing problems that I didn't expect them to have. It mm-hmm. is like the same things where you know going into the season you would have expected them to struggle. It's just been the extent to which they've struggled with those things has surprised me a bit. Like, they, 
the extent to which the Sixers have struggled with their half-court offense, like the extent to which Milwaukee's supporting cast has looked shaky at times um, and untrustworthy. Like, I just don't have enough faith in those teams to pencil them into the Eastern Conference Finals right now. Um, So I think there's definitely an opportunity there for a team like the Raptors that has a ton of institutional knowledge, defensive IQ, uh, and increasingly, it seems like a lot of offensive firepower to get into that mix. Well, I'm glad I was able to inadvertently plug your piece uh, <laughs> that I look forward to reading. Yeah, at, thank you. At the score, uh, that that that's great. I should have prepared, and that would have been a thing we got to earlier. But glad we stumbled there. Yeah, no, I I think those are all well taken points. Um, it's. Uh, <laughs> It's a very. I'm very much looking forward to seeing how this East plays out. There's going to be a series that's a four-five. That's going to be an absolute bloodbath, and I look forward to that. And hope the Raptors are not involved in that. Um, before we get to some parting shots on some of the other guys who chipped in last night, let's take a quick second to talk about my bookie. During Thanksgiving week, MyBookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game. Simply choose a team and, and, and pick the spread for up to $250. If you win, congrats. You've got extra holiday spending money. If you lose, congratulations as well. MyBookie will give you all your money back. It's a no-brainer because you literally cannot lose. It's no risk. All gravy. It doesn't matter whether you're an experienced player or a first-time customer. MyBookie welcomes all to come and play. So quit waiting around and sign up today. You ever find yourself wanting to bet on sports but have a lot of questions like, oh, what is a spread? I find myself thinking that all the time. I suck at betting. MyBookie's patient customer service team can walk you through the process. And the best part is, if you join this Thanksgiving week, you still have one last shot to take advantage of their incredible sign-up offer. Just log on to MyBookie.ag and make your first deposit with the promo code Locked On. NBA and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar to jumpstart your bankroll and that's on top of the risk-free bet they're offering you so much you should sign up I'm gonna go sign up after this let me repeat that's a guaranteed deposit match and a risk-free bet for Thanksgiving only so if you're a true football fan or a basketball fan and you want to bet on hoops whatever it is you do not want to let this opportunity pass you by you simply can't lose make sure you do your part to support your team this season hop on the gravy train and get in on the action with my bookie you play you win and you get paid all right, Joe, a couple last thoughts from last night's game before we uh, hightailed out of here. Terrence Davis, 31 minutes for him. Kind of got some closing time as well, 15 points, six boards for him. Uh, the, the lack of fear in him is, frankly, uh, unsettling for a first-year undrafted guy. Uh, he, he's, he's a boss, man. I, I am a, a big fan of his work. And you look at his performance and look at it in concert with Norman Powell, who, after a couple okay offensive games in which he wasn't really all that impactful uh, holistically had a really rough game last night all of six missed some bunnies uh, in the corner completely uncontested and was you know kind of phased out in the late part of the game in lieu of Terrence Davis this is look man I believe in Norm a lot I think he can offer very good things in the right situations when he's you know the the fifth guy in a lineup I, I think his up and down and sort of oscillating role over the last three or four years hasn't done him any favors, but it's getting hard to ignore how inconsistent he's been and also hard to not get really sort of frothy at the mouth over Terrence Davis. Do you think there's a chance when everything is back and, and look, they're never going to be totally healthy. Injuries happen all the time, but assuming a full rotation, 
Is there a chance Norm Powell starts to lose minutes as the sort of seventh man on this in, in this rotation to the likes of a Terrence Davis? Or is Davis, do you think, maybe more going to be sort of a tool to bring down the minutes of Fred and Kyle once once Kyle's back? Like, how do you think, because like, Davis has to be part of the rotation. How do you think that's going to manifest itself? Um, I don't think it's out of the question that Norm will lose minutes to him. I do think when Lowry does get back, like they need more support uh, for those two guys. Like their minutes are just completely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, I mean, I guess if you think about it, you basically have those four guards, um, and either of them can sort of play either guard spot. I mean, you you don't ever really want to be in a situation where Norm is the only ball handler on the floor. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, you know, like Terrence Davis could be that guy. Uh, like if he, if Lowry and Fred are sitting together. But again, I think you want to stagger those guys so one of them's out there at all times. Uh, but you have four guys to basically fill two guard spots for 48 minutes. And I think, you know, more so than just taking minutes away from Norm, I think his emergence, Terry's emergence, will just like allow them to, to scale back Lowry's and Van Vliet's workloads when, when Lowry's ready to come back, which is a really good thing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, he's just been unbelievable. And his, his lack of fear, like, his lack of scruples, um, <laughs> just, like, his lack of conscience, his trigger finger. Like, I want to give all of his moxie to Marc Gasol. Like, <laughs> I feel like uh, it's just really important because uh, – you know, you see what happens to that Raptors offense when somebody turns down an open three, things get gummed up, and they just don't have, like, enough elite off-the-dribble creation for, for guys to be turning those looks down. Uh, and Terrence Davis will not turn those looks down. Uh, he comes up ready to shoot anytime he catches the ball. Um, mm-hmm. And he's been great. Like, what you know, whether it's shooting, whether it's attacking the basket, in transition, as a defender... Uh, he's a pretty solid passer. Like everything he's done, for the most part, has really impressed me. Um, and it's nuts that they just continue to unearth these guys and then put them into this player development incubator <laughs> and churn out, you know, high-level role players or, you know, in some cases, absolute superstars. Yeah, they literally took him off of a G League team that was, or a summer league team that was not theirs. <laughs> like, oh, that guy on the Nuggets? Yeah, he's ours now. Uh, let's make him good. It's, it's wild. <laughs> it's, oh man. Again, I don't know what we it's did wild. to deserve this team, yeah. but uh, it, it, we, it's here now, and it's great. Um, last question. Uh, I think I'm going to start like doing this as a as a recurring bit throughout the season as we. Uh, keep an eye on Fred Van Vliet's expiring contract. He uh, was awesome last night, 30 points, uh, 7 assists, 4 boards, 10 of 16, 4 of 6 from downtown, just orchestrating the offense. His, his first step seems to be a little bit more explosive after uh, you know a few weeks of not having all of that burst, I think probably to do with that ankle injury. Shouts to our pal Asad Alvi, who is a uh, mm. apparently an ankle expert, ankle injury expert and kind of predicted this. Um, and he looks <laughs> very good at ankle injuries, not so good at beating me in the Raptors Republic 3-on-3 tournament, but that's besides the point. Um, the the Fred Van Vliet secure the bag meter, where is it at right now? And is, so like, the question is, 
What do you think he's going to earn on the open market this uh, this summer from a team, whether it's the Raptors or otherwise? And will that be outside of the Raptors' price range? And would you be comfortable with the Raptors paying that? So uh, you can answer the first part and then the second part, I suppose. Um, I'm thinking, like, if the season ended right now, or I guess if just basically continued to produce at the same level that he's produced so far, I put him in like the 15 to 20 million dollar range. Mm-hmm. Does that seem about right? Yeah, I was thinking like 18, so. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I, I'd have to like look at their cap sheet, but I feel pretty confident in saying that they could sign him to a deal like that. And if they didn't extend OG, uh, but just kind of held off and were like, look, we'll, we'll take care of you, but we need to just have your small cap hold on the books in 2021 mm-hmm. so they can still keep that max slot open, uh, then, yeah, 100%, I'd be willing to go there. Um, I just He's just such an important part of what they do. And I know a lot of people, myself included, get frustrated with him sometimes. He, he over-dribbles and uh, drives into traffic and hasn't been particularly good at finishing at the rim uh you know his two-point shooting in general has been pretty poor uh and he he kind of dominates the ball in the offense a little bit more than i would like um but he also just like bails him out of trouble so often uh his shooting has been so huge and his defense at the point of attack is like up there among the best point Mm -hmm. guards in the league so um and he's, he's still young enough like he's he's in his prime where i think locking him up you know, basically through the rest of his prime would be a good decision. Um, so I think as long as they could make the, the cap math work where that max slot is still available, then yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think like probably around 17, 18 is about the extent to which I'd feel comfortable. Um, you know, he's had some injury issues and that always seems to be, you know, whenever his struggles are the most pronounced, it typically is in line with a back injury or something like that. Um, and those seem to pop up here and there because, you know, as much as Fred is young, he's also an old man at heart. And I appreciate that. And it's part of his charm. Um, he, But, yeah, I think as much as he has issues around the rim and, and sort of as like a traditional lead ball handler, I think if you're signing him into whatever this next phase of the team is going to be for the next three or four years, whatever it is, like you're doing so with the knowledge that you already have Pascal Siakam, who at this rate is going to sort of develop into an even more polished, you know, on-ball creator who can have the ball in his hands a little bit more often to take some of that pressure off. You're going to have Kyle theoretically through the end of next season anyway. And if you're doing this, like if you have the idea in your head of let's go get Giannis or some other superstar you would assume that that superstar is also going to be able to have the ball in his hands quite a bit, so then you're sort of protected against Fred having the ball all the time, like he has recently. And look, it's been pretty good, and it's also had some bad moments. You know, the Clippers game wasn't particularly strong for him, but he has proven that in a pinch he can be your lead guy and get you somewhere positive. But I think in in an ideal world, he's probably like the third ball handler in a lineup and that's good that that's fine because your plan going forward if it all works out would sort of slot him exactly in there so i'm cool with like 17 18 if they can maintain that max slot and i like i think the sort of kicking the can down the road with og while you maybe risk sort of 
uh, angering him a little bit or maybe souring that relationship. I, I, you know, there's only so much leverage that OG would have, right? And so you can probably still make it work. Um, and, you know, the summer of 2021, when theoretically he would, hit, he would hit RFA, is a summer where there's a bunch of superstar free agents. So I would imagine signing offer sheets to guys like, you know, OG Ananobi is not going to be top of mind for most teams that have a lot of space. So I think, yeah, I, I would be comfortable with what the secure the bag meter is at right now around 17, 18 uh, for four years with Fred because he is a boss. He's Freddie Mellons for a reason, man. He's, you know, in addition to all the good things he does, he is very much a culture guy. He's a, you know, he's just such a uh, a good guy to have around. Like, it, it seems like he's just, every, like, T- Terrence Davis speaks glowingly of him as sort of a, a mentor and stuff like that, too. All that stuff matters and should factor into what a guy earns, too. So, uh, yeah, this this stretch was always going to be telling for Fred, and I think the the early returns through three games with Kyle have been extremely positive and have made me a little bit more comfortable with the idea. And, yeah, that's three games. It's a small sample, but um, he's done a lot to curry favor even before these three games. So I think that's about where I am on that. Do you have any uh, – sorry, go ahead. I Oh no! I mean, oh. I, like the real question for me now is like, what are they going to do with Rondé in the off season? I, I don't think they have his bird rights, so how are they going to bring him back? Um, my God! Yeah, is it going to be like a? Uh, uh, it feels like maybe a Biombo situation where uh, they they raise him up, he gets paid, and maybe some team ultimately doesn't uh, enjoy having to pay him that money. <laughs> but the Raptors, man, it, they do this too. <laughs> Yeah, um, he's just like he's everything you want in a role player. Yeah, um, he, he's like so rugged, plays so hard, and it, it's not just like fake hustle either. You know, like there are certain things that he's legitimately really good at. Oh, he's a fucking and, lunatic. Um, it's great. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what a game for him last night, man. That was that was super fun. Um, but yeah, uh, it's. I just all, all all of these things, all these factors have have really given me a lot more optimism and a lot more hope than I had coming into the season. Uh, so, pretty sweet. Yeah, it's fun, man. Good time to be a, a person who likes this team for sure. Uh, Joe, this was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and adding some intelligence to the program that I don't typically provide. Uh, so, thank you. Where can people find your work? Uh, you can find me at the score as always. Um, publish, you know, a couple features a week, and I have a podcast with uh, the aforementioned Joseph Cacharo. It's called Pound the Rock. Uh, we put that out once a week and talk about all things NBA, uh, not just the Raptors. So, um, if you're interested in that, then give it a listen, subscribe, and you can check me out on Twitter at Joey underscore W. I don't say this just because you guys are pals uh, that that I enjoy, but like. Pound the Rock is amazing. You guys are so good at what you do, and it like literally yeah, outside I, I, of man, I really appreciate that. Literally outside of the low post, it's the the NBA podcast that I click on the quickest when it comes up. So uh, you guys rule. Everyone listen to Pound the Rock, and uh, that's gonna do it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please subscribe, rate, review to this podcast in addition to Pound the Rock wherever you get your podcasts: iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. All that stuff is very much appreciated. You can still purchase We the Champs, and Christmas is coming up, baby. If you have a uh, person you want to buy a stocking stuffer for, or uh, you know, multiple, like you have like a thing where you got to buy multiple gifts for people, or Secret Santa, buy a We the Champs and put that under the tree. It's uh, 
biased here, but a great idea as a gift if you want to go do that. Um, wherever you get your books, it's much appreciated. And that's about it. Thank you so much. We're going to be back on Friday with Katie Heindel. We're going to do a mailbag podcast, I think, and that should be a lot of fun. So stay tuned, and we will talk to you next time with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Locked on Raptors.